For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that we might have eternal life, that we might have forgiveness of sins, that we might be reconciled to God. And last week, as we continued in our message series from New Testament letter of Colossians, we looked at this transformed status that we as recipients of the gospel, as believers in this message, as followers of Jesus have before God, that we have been transformed from enemies of God to friends forever of the Almighty God. We have gone from separated from God to reconciled with God. And not only have we received this message, but the Bible is clear that all who have received this message are then commissioned, charged to tell the world about the transformation that has taken place in our own lives and how they too can go from being separated from God to restored into right relationship with God. And Peter makes this abundantly clear in his first letter recorded uh, in God's Word, compiled and put in God's Word. First Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 read uh, this way, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and humility, or gentleness and respect. The reality is that Peter was writing to Christians who were experiencing persecution, experiencing hardship for the stance that they were taking, uh, identifying themselves with Jesus Christ. And the reality is that this has been the way of many Christians throughout the century and continues to be the case for many Christians throughout the world today. And we know as believers in this message, as believers in God's word, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, is a beautiful message. But until the Spirit of God convicts people of their sin before God, it's actually quite an offensive message. That we are condemned, that we have fallen short of God's standard, that we are not good enough on our own. And for this reason, the message has been met with great opposition uh, throughout the centuries. But even so, we are called to proclaim it, we're called to live it, we're called to tell it, and we're not left on our own to accomplish that task, to accomplish that commission. Christ Jesus himself goes with us, and he is with us this morning as we gather in his name. And so let's pause before we open up God's word and invite him to speak to us through his word. Father, we do come to you now, and we acknowledge that this day is about you, that this time is about you, that our gathering this morning is about you. So Father, we Thank you that you are with us. We thank you that your presence goes with your people, that, that where two or more are gathered in your name, you are with them. And so, Lord, we are gathered in your name today, and we desire to hear from you. So, Lord, speak to us now through your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to look at God's word with me in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, as we continue our present message series, Rediscover Jesus, we're going through the New Testament letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians. And 
This morning we finish up chapter 1. So Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, and there God's word uh, reads this way. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now Paul is writing this letter in the first century to Christians living in the city of Colossae. And he is writing this letter out of a difficult circumstance, out of a hard circumstance. For for he is, in his own words, in chains because of his proclamation, his commitment to proclaim the mystery of Christ, which is the gospel. We read that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. So he's writing this letter from prison, most likely in Rome. He writes uh, some other letters from prison as well. And as stated earlier, this is not a foreign concept to uh, the church. This is not a foreign concept to believers, to those who have identified themselves with Christ, who have publicly uh, committed their lives to Christ and, and live in light of who He is and what He has done. And God has used opposition to the gospel. He has used persecution uh, around the world, past and present, uh, to spread His church. In fact, we think of believers in other parts of the world even today. We think of recent attacks by ISIS in places like Egypt and Iraq and Syria. We think of Boko Haram in Nigeria The reality is that it's estimated that about 70 nations today, or at least portions of 70 nations around the world today, are hostile to Christianity or have laws that are restrictive to the public practice of Christianity. And that's sort of a concept that's a bit foreign for us. It's hard for us to identify with what what believers around the world are, are facing as they commit themselves to live and to walk with and for Jesus Christ. But Paul recognized that even through suffering, even through hardship, through persecution, through threats, through opposition, the message was going forth and the church was growing. And for this reason, he could rejoice in what he was facing. This is why he could write in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, writing to the church, to Christians, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So what is Paul saying here? This is a good example of where it's important that when we read Scripture and we study Scripture and we seek to interpret Scripture, we do so in light of the context of Scripture. Because we know Paul is not saying that Christ's sacrifice, that his suffering is insufficient Uh, For the church. That would go against the message of Colossians and against the message of the broader New Testament. But 
he is acknowledging that in order for the church to spread and to spread rapidly among believers around the world, that it's going to be faced with opposition, that suffering will be involved. The reality is that suffering for Christ advances the gospel, causing rejoicing. Suffering for Christ advances the gospel, causing rejoicing among God's people. Just something encouraging or something convicting, something eye-opening about Christians who are unfazed by the threat of death, knowing that their primary allegiance, their primary commitment, their primary joy is found in obedience to Jesus Christ and His gospel. I think of words from a famous film, the movie Braveheart, that William Wallace encouraging his fellow Scottish warriors to, to fight and to fight hard for their independence from the King of England. and Probably the most well-known quote in the whole movie. He turns to them and he, he's rallying their support. And he says, they may take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. That certainly has a hint of patriotism to it. And the idea that even if we die, we'll be free. And that's, that's certainly hard. It's admirable for those that have that sort of patriot spirit. But that's probably hard for even many of us to identify with. And we're grateful this morning to have one who's been serving overseas, return home safely. Steve Smith is here. Steve, I'm not going to make you stand up, but Steve is sitting over here in his red Alabama shirt. We won't hold that against him. But he's been serving for about 10 months overseas in Kuwait and surrounding areas with the with the army, and we're glad to have him home. And we think about that sort of commitment, and we think about a New Testament commitment that we read among believers who were committed to the gospel above everything else, even if it cost them their lives. We think about Acts chapter 4, and Peter and John as disciples who've been arrested for their public teaching, their public proclamation of the gospel, and they're brought before the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling council who holds quite a bit of authority in that culture. And they're questioned, and they're told, never again, don't you, don't you talk about this guy Jesus anymore. And their response is, judge for yourselves. You be the judges. It's better for us to obey you or to obey God. We can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. That's the reality, or it ought to be the reality for recipients of the message of the gospel, that we have been entrusted with a message. We've been graciously saved by God and compelled to, to share that reality with the world. Paul could rejoice in that, even though he faced suffering, because he recognized that his own suffering, his own persecution, really served for the greater good of the church was for the sake of Christ's church. In this way, suffering among God's people as they take a stance on the gospel and proclaim the truth of God's word, suffering among God's people is a, a building block, so to speak, on which Christ has built His church. With Jesus Himself being the cornerstone or the corner block, most important piece of the entire structure, for without the suffering of Jesus... The whole building would come tumbling down. The church would not exist. I've been doing a fair amount of yard work in, at our home in recent days, the last 
couple of weeks, and I'll be honest, I've spent many hours laboring with things like dirt and sod and fences and drain pipes and you name it, on and on and on, concrete, uh, to the point of exhaustion day after day uh, whenever I've had some spare time. But the vast majority or the biggest bulk of this particular project has involved equipment and expertise beyond uh, what I have or am capable of. So it was hired to be done one day. And um, I have to say, I think I have a new appreciation for those that uh, engage in manual labor on a day-to-day basis. And I don't know what what goes through people's minds that have to exert themselves outdoor physically, manual labor, day after day after day, but one of the things that comes to my mind is suffering. <laughs> suffering. <laughs> Hard work. But, The work has to be done in order to achieve the necessary desired product. Paul recognized this. His stance on the gospel, his stance on the word of God, his proclamation of the truth was not about him ultimately. It was about the spreading of the kingdom of God, the building up of Christ's church. And for that reason, it was worth it. Just like a, a crooked nail in a picket fence or a bent piece of rebar in the landscape timber strengthens the ultimate, the the overall structure. Suffering for the sake of the gospel matures disciples, matures followers of Jesus along the way. And so Paul recognized that, that even as he faced suffering, it was the Lord maturing his own faith, strengthening his own trust in in him and in the message he was proclaiming on his behalf. And we ought to, as believers who live in this part of the world, we ought to, to pray for those brothers and sisters around the world who are facing hardship, difficulty, persecution because of their stance on the gospel. We certainly ought to do so. And we also ought to rejoice in the spread of the church, even when it means hardship for the church. We can rejoice in the spread of the church and we can do so because whatever difficulties we or anyone else face in this life is temporary. The salvation of souls, the salvation of people before the eternal matchless king is eternal. And if God himself would give his own life as a son of God came to earth and laid down his life and died a humiliating and torturing death on a cross for people, expressing that that God desires the salvation of His creatures even more than His own physical comfort. If that is true of God, then it ought to be true of His people as we seek to advance His gospel around the world as well. We We don't see it here like it's going on in much of the world today. The church by most counts, seems to be on the decline in our country, in the western part of the world, but in many parts of the world where the gospel is being opposed, the church is spreading at alarming rates, and we ought to praise God for it. Paul recognized that his task, his commission, his calling was to proclaim the message that had been entrusted to him, and likewise, God continues to call ministers of his gospel to to stand on His truth and to proclaim His gospel. Look back at Colossians chapter 1. 
verses 25 and following. Paul writes, I have become its servant. The church is servant. I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The truth is that God calls ministers to give primary attention to preaching His Word. God calls ministers to give primary attention to preaching His Word. We don't have time to look at all of these passages of Scripture this morning, but you may want to jot down 1 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Acts chapter 6 in support of this truth that ministers of the gospel, though entrusted with a number of responsibilities, pastoring and shepherding God's people, of caring for God's people, of ministering to the people of God, are first and foremost to be men and women who proclaim the gospel, who declare the, the word of God, who, who speak the word of God. I remember just a, a few years ago during an interim time, a transition time here at Meadowbrook, and between pastors and not knowing who the next pastor of, of this church would be and certainly not knowing where the Lord was going to lead down the road, I remember being encouraged by a survey that was put out by the pastor search committee to this congregation asking for feedback and response. One of the things that surfaced was that the vast majority of people that responded to that survey recognized and acknowledged that the pastor first and foremost was to be giving themselves to preaching and teaching the word of God. Time spent preparing, preaching and teaching the word of God. Folks, that is biblical. And biblical preaching presents God's complete message. Biblical preaching presents God's complete message. Paul writes, he says, I've become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you what? The word of God in its fullness. The word of God in its fullness. Or to proclaim the, God's message, to make it fully known. Or to make the word of God fully known would be another translation of this. And just like shortcuts weaken and distort a structure or a building in construction. Shortcuts when it comes to presenting the truths of God from a book such as His Word weaken and distort the faith of those that are hearing and sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. And this book, God's Word, the Bible, is a big book. It's a complex book. There is a lot of stuff there. And it's important that those who are teaching and claiming, preaching, even reading the Word of God, give attention to all of it. Old Testament, New Testament, law, narrative, prophecy, poetry, gospel, letter, all of this. And the key we're told right here in this passage in Colossians chapter 1, the key to understanding all of this in light of God's grand story is the mystery that has been revealed through Jesus Christ. It is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God's message is a mystery revealed through Jesus. It's a mystery revealed through Jesus. Paul describes it. The mystery, verse 26, speaking of the word of God in its fullness. The mystery. It's been kept hidden for ages and generations. In other words, it's not been fully disclosed. It's not been made 
fully complete, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Much of the Bible predicts the coming of Jesus or foreshadows the death of Jesus or anticipates the coming of Jesus or is written in response in light of the life and the death and the resurrection and the ministry of Jesus. The reality is without Jesus, the Bible is incomplete. Without Jesus, the culmination of this story and this message, the Bible doesn't communicate enough. But with Jesus, the Bible is understood for He is the key to understanding all of God's Word. We also see here that God's message is the hope of Christ for all. God's message, this mystery that's been revealed, has been hidden for ages and generations and now has been made known, revealed through Jesus Christ. This message is the hope of Christ for all. Look back at verse 27. Paul writes, To them, speaking of the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul goes to great lengths in much of his writing in the New Testament to convey that salvation is universal in scope. But not meaning that all will be saved, but it is for all people. Not just a message for Jews who were waiting and expecting to, to see and to hear from the Messiah. It's also for Gentiles who had no idea of the concept of the Messiah. It is for all and all who respond to the message, repenting of sin and placing their faith in Jesus for salvation, receive the Spirit of Christ, Christ in us, dwelling in us, living in us. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes it this way. He says, when you believed, you were marked in Him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Those that have responded to the grace of God and received the free gift of salvation are given the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance as children of God. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, same as the Spirit of Christ, dwelling in us. Christ in us, Paul says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ's presence in us guarantees one day we will be like Him, that we will be glorified, that at His return, that we will be given new bodies, that we will no longer experience the difficulties associated with sin, no longer be sick, no longer struggle with these things, but we will be perfected in Christ. We will be matured in our walk with Christ. But until that day, until that day, Paul conveys here that he's going to continue proclaiming the gospel of Jesus so that people will keep on growing in their knowledge of and their love for and their commitment to Jesus Christ. It says this in verse 28. It says, He, Christ, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that, w- so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The purpose of ministry is growth in Christ. The purpose of ministry 
is growth in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's conveyed this way, that Christ, Christ himself gave, him, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. The church, we desire not only to grow in breadth, not only to reach lost people in this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we as followers of Christ also desire to grow in depth. Desire to to mature as followers of Jesus, to know Him more, to walk with Him closer, to live as faithful people of God, as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And because God calls ministers to preach His gospel, the fullness of His word, in order to produce growing followers of Jesus Christ, we must come to expect Christ-centered biblical preaching. Expect Christ-centered biblical preaching. If ministers are entrusted with teaching all of the Word of God, the fullness of the Word of God, and if Jesus Himself is the key to understanding the Word of God, then we ought to expect those who stand and teach or stand and preach in the name of Christ, in the name of God's Word, to proclaim Christ-centered Biblical preaching. We have to expect that here when we gather for worship. Whether whether it's me standing here that Sunday or someone else. We ought to expect Christ-centered biblical preaching. And if we're not getting it, we need to let our pastor know about it. If you ever find yourself looking for a church or looking for a pastor. certainly hope there aren't too many here today looking for a pastor. But if you are... At the top of your list, you ought to look for Christ-centered biblical preaching. This is a primary task of those who are entrusted with the gospel. And then it goes without saying that that ought to be at the top of our list as we evaluate those who are entrusted with that message. But the reality is, for the people of God, we're not, none of us are simply to sit back and to listen and to evaluate, we are all called to participate. Not only those who have been given formal positions or in positions of leadership, teaching or preaching, all of us are called to participate in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. So we ought to expect Christ-centered biblical preaching. We also ought to participate in Christ-centered biblical preaching. Participate in Christ-centered biblical preaching. This is what Jesus was conveying when gave the great commission to his followers. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is what Paul was conveying when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and following. He writes, all this is from God, speaking of the gospel, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we've been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. That's the gospel, right? That God has reconciled people to himself through Christ. 
not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That is, he's committed to us the gospel message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Church, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are his representatives as followers of Jesus. He is making his appeal to the world to respond to his message of salvation through us, through our speaking, through our proclamation, through our teaching. Certainly another building block of Christ's church is faithful ministers who have been entrusted with the gospel, proclaiming the message of God, the full word of God, but also men, women, and boys and girls, the church itself standing upon that message and proclaiming that message to the world. When was the last time that you talked with someone about Jesus? This week, let's be intentional, all of us. Let's talk to people about Jesus. Perhaps in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in the workplace, the grocery store, in restaurants, the pool, wherever. Let's talk to people about Jesus. We are called to participate in Christ-centered biblical preaching. And as you participate in that, as you participate in the commission that God has entrusted us to, we know that we're not alone in this. We don't have to totally rely on ourselves and our own strength to accomplish this task because Strength for ministry, as we see here in verse 29, comes from Christ. Strength for ministry comes from Christ. Strength to accomplish what it is that God is calling us to accomplish comes from Him. Beautiful reality that as people of God have been reconciled to God, God does not expect anything from us that he does not desire to accomplish through us. Paul writes here in verse 29, to this end, to this end, that is admonishing, proclaiming, and teaching so that people become fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The picture here, language, strenuously contending conveys that of an athlete who's working to the point of exhaustion. Running to the point of exhaustion. As I stated earlier, there's been multiple days in the last few days, in fact, yesterday being one of them, a little shaky up here this morning, that I have worked myself in the yard to exhaustion, coming in with mud all over me and sweat all over me, but I have to be honest, and certainly we've been there. When was the last time you worked at something to the point of exhaustion? We've all been there. I have to be honest, in light of the truths of God's word here, a bit convicted as I stand before you today about my labor, perhaps the lack of laboring for the gospel to the point of exhaustion. That is what Paul is writing here. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. When was the last time that we talked with someone about Jesus to the point of exhaustion? 
Have we ever prayed for the lost to the point of exhaustion? The reality is the world is lost and in need of a Savior. And as people who have received the incredible mercy of God, we ought to be burdened for their salvation and compelled to speak the truth of God to them. Strenuously contending for the gospel. We ought to be able to say with Paul in Galatians chapter 2 that we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but it is Christ living in us. And what a joy to know that that Jesus goes with us. And it is, it is His power that works ultimately through us. So as you serve, as you contend for the gospel, know that you're not alone. Jesus reminded His disciples of this when He gave them the Great Commission. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As you serve, lean on Jesus. Lean on Jesus. Jesus is with us Always. But he tells us in his word. And the good news is the power, the strength of Jesus is inexhaustible. He is the one who works in and through us. His power and his presence as another building block on which Christ builds his church. Folks, suffering for Christ advances the gospel, causing rejoicing. And God calls ministers to give primary attention to preaching His Word. And the purpose of ministry is growth in Christ. And strength for ministry comes from Christ. Bringing all of these things together in an attempt to convey the central truth of this particular passage, Colossians 1, 24-29. We might say this, that God calls and equips His people to joyfully proclaim His truth for the sake of His church. God calls and equips His people to joyfully proclaim His truth for the sake of His church. As people who are part of this church family, let's recognize God's call in our lives. Let's acknowledge His power that is working in us as we are obedient to Him, as He leads us to proclaim His truth for the sake of His church. I want you to imagine for a moment the impact that it would have on on our homes, on on this church family, on our neighborhoods, on this community, on the schools in this area, if we as a church were totally committed to just that. We were sure of the call that God had given us and certain of His powerful presence working in and through us as we proclaim His truth for the good of His church. Father, we thank You for Your truth. We thank you for the message that you have entrusted to us. We thank you for it because by that same message you have saved us. Lord, we are grateful people because of the miraculous work that you have done in our lives by your grace. Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of reconciliation, the message that though we have rebelled against you, you desire to restore us into right relationship with you and all of us who have called on the name of Jesus in faith 
have been restored with you. So, Lord, we are thankful for that spiritual reality. And, Lord, we pray that you would remind us of it each and every day as we desire to to live for you and follow after Jesus. May you lead us in all that we do for your glory. May you work powerfully in and through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.